Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so excited to be here with you today and that you're here with us. We are kicking off a new spinoff of our podcast called Rethinking Humanity Interviews. And uh, Sonia, we've been talking about this for a little while now. It's kind of exciting, huh? Oh, yeah. We are thrilled to be able to bring you guys some excellent individuals that are going to have conversations with us about rethinking humanity and more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. People who are on the same page with us who are like, hey, we need to think think, think about things differently here and who can see why and also who have ideas for what we can do differently. I think we're going to have some great discussions um, and I'm really excited uh, about our first uh, a guest. Our first guest is Raymond Frey, and we're going to bring him in right now. Hey, Sonia. Hey, Lacey. Thank you for having me on the show. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. <laughs> Raymond is joining us from um, San Francisco out in California. How are you today, sir? I'm good. You know, it's really mild. We're heading into summer and I think it's really warm, even hot in a lot of places. Sacramento's already had plenty of days over 100 degrees, but right here it's 61 degrees and cloudy. It's beautiful. Oh, that's good. You know, I, uh, I've been to San Francisco recently and I really, really enjoyed it. That's a place like I even tweeted last year. I was like, if I end up moving to San Francisco, nobody be surprised. <laughs> it's a good quality of life here we have wine country we have amazing food and drink a lovely like informal kind of hospitality um we get a little a little aggressive in our pursuit of new technologies we, we get very focused here uh but i've been here 20 years and and uh, there's very few places in the world i'd rather live well you are a fortunate soul sir for sure that you're there um, Ray, we said, we're saying your name wrong. It's Ramon, and I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> we'll get it right. Um, Ramon and I connected through Twitter, how, which is a way that many of us do nowadays. It's such an amazing tool, Twitter is. It's amazing who you can connect with. Um, and I started to take a look at some of his writings, which is on his Medium page. And I was like, man, this guy thinks so similar to... Um, you know, the way that Sonia and I think, and I was like, we got to talk to this guy. Like, we got to have him on. Um, so we're really excited that he is our first guest. And, um, and so Ramon, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you've done quite a bit, uh, with your life and I'm quite impressed to have you as a guest and just that you're listening and wanted to be on the show. So thank you for that. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing. You're writing a book. You've done a lot in technology, um, a thing called Good People Dinners, which I think is so cool. So tell us, tell us about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of bring you up to up to the minute. I think I think the the for me the way that we ended up connecting was a few years ago, maybe about three years ago. I was driving out to Colorado, and I was listening to Sam Harris's podcast, which I love. Mm -hmm. um, uh, making sense. And Andrew Yang was on that podcast. And I was immediately like, who is this guy? This is one of the most eloquent. I was already kind of a fan of the idea of universal basic income. I knew who Scott Santins was. And I thought, you know, this is the most eloquent defense of raising the floor on need. It was like a deep uh, humanizing perspective on the world. And he had the audacity to be running for president. So I started following him. I eventually met him. I actually invited him to speak uh, at a gathering here in downtown San Francisco where I was also speaking. And then I just became part of this whole sort of humanity forward uh, community, which is how I connected with uh, all of you, with the, both of you. Um, so what, am I, what have I been doing? Um, gosh, one way I think to think of me, at least in the last eight or 10 years, is, is the biggest uh, technology startup loser. <laughs> <laughs> I um, which I reflect on a lot. Uh, I've been taking a Losers lot. Losers are actually winners, right? That's what it yeah, was. Right. So I've been <laughs> that's a lot that, right? you know, these last eight or 10 years. Um, before that, I owned an international, I was co-founder and, and co-owner of an international art gallery for 10 years. I served for five years on the board of the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. 
Um, I always loved deep and meaningful conversations. So when the sort of art career part of my life uh, closed and I was starting a new chapter, I knew I wanted to move in technolo into technology and to work with startups rather than large companies. Um, but I, I really missed conversations that would have nothing to do with startups. I needed that as sort of a balance in my life. So I started just hosting dinner at friends' homes and that eventually snowballed. We started numbering the events, uh, eventually became a company called uh, GP Dinners or Good People Dinners. We do dinner okay. overnights, retreats. I've done a bunch of corporate salon series and um, we did about 250 of those and things were going really well. A lot of different companies were hiring us to sort of, we'd, we'd bring in a professional chef and a speaker and have a really interesting conversation. And then of course, you know, COVID hit, the pandemic hit. Okay. And absolutely everything went to zero. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people in that situation, man, right? Just yeah. forget events, man. It's gone for a year. At the least. event industry, it completely imploded, right? It completely stopped. And a lot of people thought, well, what can I take online? And I've seen some really interesting attempts to sort of enliven these kinds of conversations with a bunch of people in their homes on laptops. And and some of them are really, you know, they're cool, but I don't think it's I don't think it's my thing. So it was another moment of, you know, professional uh, reinvention for me. Uh, I, I may pick up good people again at the tail end of this. Um, but for now, I'm I'm a, a, an advisor now to a number of startups. Again, they kind of realized that I'd have a bunch of open space in my calendar. And so uh, my friend Brian Spears uh, and Darren Alemley asked me to become part of New Age Meats, which is real meat grown in what's called a bioreactor, uh, which I think is very interesting. I think it's going to be a big part of the future of how people um, get their meat. And it has a way lower environmental impact. Um, it's on for better or worse, it's going to eliminate a lot of jobs, you know, per. Yeah. And then um, I'm also part of a new company founded out of Taiwan by my friend uh, Drew Mahorek uh, called Better Human, uh, called Better Humans. And that is affiliated mm -hmm. with um, uh, an organization at Penn State University called World in Conversation. Um, okay. and again, it's, it's, a, it's a way to bring people together to have deep substantive discussions across differences. Um, like I think their tagline is uh, conflict doesn't have to be a dirty word or something like that. Oh, that wow. sounds very meaningful. That's awesome. Yeah. I love and you. Your, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I love the good people uh, dinners. And how far were you into that? And you did you say you typically had someone presenting and then there's a conversation? Yeah. Yeah. So thousands and thousands of people have been to our events. Um, we would have a professional chef. We'd have a speaker. You know, we'd do a cocktail hour. I would I would be the MC. Um, you know, we offer questions, and I think a place, a safe space. You know, a, a psychological and emotional safety are big uh, prerequisites for opening up and mm -hmm. feeling like, hey, mm -hmm. you probably disagree with me, but I want to tell you what I really feel, what I think, mm -hmm. and I want to hear what you have to say. Right. Um, right. You know, it's the it's it's a it's a you know historically a, an American strength that we were good at civil discourse. Right. Mm. Not uh, so, so important. Yeah. <laughs> I keep interrupting yourself. No, the dialogue, and now with the way we're polarized, that's why I'm just really excited that you did that. We need yeah. that again. Yeah. This new company is going to train people to facilitate those dialogues. So, you know, all of the mm -hmm. things I do are interrelated in various ways. Cool. Yeah, I, I think that's a uh, honorable thing and honorable cause, something we all need more of. We actually talked a little bit about, you know, the, uh, in the last podcast episode, the having mode of existence, which Fromm talks about the being mode of existence and how when you're in the, when you're existing in the being mode, you're able to put your, you know, opinions aside because they're no longer a possession and you don't feel a fear of losing something and therefore losing who you are mm. by having a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you. 
Um, so those are conversations that we we all need to have. We will grow so much as a result of that. Yeah, um, I, I, I love that framing. And, and, you know, I think it's important sometimes to remind someone, uh, and, and we're talking about the big stuff, you know, political ideology, religious ideology. Maybe someone is poor and living paycheck to paycheck and another person is rich beyond imagination. You know, just because you have a, a very much contrasting point of view, I am not in danger. Yes. It's, it's a thing that's yes. down there where fight or flight kicks in. And all that's really happening is, you know, these animals, us, homo sapiens, mm-hmm. there's some warm, nuanced puffs of air coming out of our mouths. <laughs> I'm not, you know, if I tell you something offensive to you, I'm not actually like lunging at you with a rock, you know? Right. And I, yes, I think yeah. a lot of people need to be reminded of that right now. Yeah, it's, mm. this, it's the threatening, like you're saying, the amygdala, you start to think, wow, they're, they're taking my, you know, they're taking my ideas that are mine. And it's like Lacey goes back to the having mode. We want to hold on to our beliefs and uh, not have anyone interrupt those. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or, or if my belief is challenged, I'm unsafe. Yes. Yes. That's better. Yeah. Right. Know, for me, an ideal world would be a place where things like this podcast would give people the opportunity to revise their thinking on something really significant over and over and over again throughout their lives. Yes. I, arguably, I think that's the best way to, to, that's the way that we are fully alive and it's the best way to live. If we're continually just keep moving forward and rethinking things, rethinking things, uh, learning new information that, that causes us or enables us to rethink things. Yeah, I think if we if we pay attention, I, I agree with you, but I also think every kind of thinking has its value and its Achilles heel. And so in certain contexts, a conservative mindset, which is a mindset essentially that says the way things have been, we need to preserve, is the most adaptive response to that situation. But you need to have that flexibility where you say, you know what, I think the boat is broken. And I think we could, we would endanger ourselves and really mess stuff up worse if we try to fix this boat. It's time to build a new one. Mm. That discernment, right, to, to retreat and edit or to put it down and invent something new is, mm-hmm. uh, is really vital. Like, we have to get really good at that if we're going to do things like, you know, address climate change and, and the, the disasters that are on the horizon as a result of the earth warming. Um, we're going to have to put down some paradigms that we're super attached to. Mm-hmm. That seems like a really good transition to us talking about kind of what's been going on in the world today. But how I'll go there is this, Ramon, I would say, how do you feel about the the precipice, the place where we're at right now, um, the hope that there's some real changes that can be happening in our society as a result of so much that happened in 2020. Yeah, I think you're right. The the current moment, because there's so much unrest, is full of wonderful potential for change. I mean, in my opinion, I'm, a, I guess, short-term pessimistic, long-term optimistic. I don't think we've seen the bottom yet of these cascading uh, issues, um, uh, you know, political issues, economic issues, racial issues, all of these, you know, the pandemic, they're all interrelated. They're all kind of mutually reinforcing. And I think we're going to have to hit kind of a bottom at some point in order to galvanize and, and regain that solidarity that's gonna allow us to act together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am optimistic. I think, I, think by, I think by next summer, we will see, at least in our country, a receptiveness to new paradigm thinking that has never existed in, in my life. In course mm-hmm. of my life. I, I tend to agree with you. I wanna throw something out here. So 
when we're talking about these topics, I would say, generally speaking, that people would get on board. The challenge, I think, is actually having an administration or political system that will support actually what the common man wants. And what are your thoughts about that? That is, um, there are a lot of circles to square in all of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's that, there's that, I'm going to just paraphrase here, but there's that quote from Buckminster Fuller. He, you know, he talks about how you don't change a system by, by resisting it. What you do is you, you know, go to the side and you invent something new that renders the current system obsolete. Mm. Mm. Kevin Kelly talked about this in his book, uh, What Technology Wants, right? Somewhere in the world right now, there's someone still stuck on using a rotary phone. But for okay. most of us, the next thing came and the next thing came, and you reach these right. tipping points, these sort of the economies of scale, these tipping points of, uh, sometimes in technology, you call them network effects, where you get massive, seemingly overnight adoption. And that's been happening faster and faster and faster. And so one of the things that I'm hopeful for, I see universal basic income, for instance, as a stopgap. If we don't, we're gonna, you know, this crisis has really accelerated transition to automation, uh, artificial intelligence, and technologies that make it so obvious that so many jobs are unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a guy named David Graeber who wrote a book called Bullshit Jobs, which is fantastic. And David, he teaches at the London School of Economics. And uh, he suggests that a significant portion of jobs, when, when you survey people privately and anonymously, they think their own job is bullshit. They know yeah. already. Yeah. We've been making jobs as though jobs are like a virtue in and of themselves. But he argues yes. that they're not. They're it's actually spiritually corrosive to your own self-esteem when you keep showing up because you gotta earn a living. And you know that if your job vanished tomorrow and was replaced by an algorithm, everyone would be fine. Right? He even argues in that book there's an inverse relationship between how useful your job is to others and what you're paid. Mm -hmm. And we, I think we really see that in this current crisis. The essential workers are all people yep. who have been totally shafted. Yep. And the people who They're are earning $500 million a year are completely mm -hmm. unnecessary. So then the question yep. becomes, what sort of society do we create? If our value, which we've always seen as being a worker, now has been stripped away, who, who then do we become? How do we live? Yeah. That question yes. is, that's at the heart of this reinvention. Because, I, you know, I, I can answer it for myself, but I think we're at a moment in history where every person should be thinking about that question you just asked and answering it for themselves. And we should be having a national conversation about this. And, and the, the conversation is really from where do we derive dignity and how do we value those sources of dignity? It, you know, uh, I'm borrowing maybe from some political campaign or something, but you know, if you, if you stay home and take care of your child, that is of enormous value to society. It is of zero value to GDP. If you go get a job mm -hmm. and pay childcare and get yourself on an accelerating hamster wheel, you have grown GDP, thank you so much. And so we're in this, we're, we're in the perfect mousetrap and it's a monoculture of incentives. And those incentives, and this is what my book's about, those incentives say more is always better for everyone, everywhere, always. Remove all impediments to the speed and volume of transactions. Produce more, mm -hmm. consume more, until you're doing it 24 seven. Yes. Is that your definition of hyperconsumption? I was gonna ask you oh, about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hyperconsumption, that's, that's the path we're stuck on right now. You know, mm -hmm. the pandemic it has hit pause, but it's gonna come roaring back if we don't, if we don't truly, like, fund you need you need people with a lot of wealth and power who do that critical reflection uh who maybe read like a non-jerry dardas who wrote that book winners take all the elite charade mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And they read that and they have a crisis, a real crisis of conscience. And they say, whether it was through birth lottery, you know, my inheritance or through my very hard work, the game I won called capitalism is obsolete. I need to burn that ladder and build new systems of equilibrium. You know, systems which raise the floor, robust social safety net coming up so nobody has to worry about basic necessities for them or people they love. We can afford that. And probably we're gonna have to stop celebrating greed and hoarding so much. We're gonna probably have to bring down that ceiling. Yeah. Um, I posted the other day and asked people, do you think it would be fair to impose a hundred million dollar a year maximum wage? And wow. even in mm -hmm. the midst of this crisis, so many Americans are like, nope, because I think they think they're gonna get there. Right, right. Oh, that's mm -hmm. um, I did have a couple who kind of split the difference and said, let's go back to the post-World War II taxation. Everything over 100 million, you pay 90% tax. But if you did any of this stuff, America could have the best social safety net on earth. Right. And, and you know what the pushback um, I'm for what you're saying is that people give you about capitalism. And they'll say, look at the advancements. Look at how many people are out of poverty. Look at the achievements we've come to, which I still, of course, believe that does not mean we move forward with this boat. We have to shift that, but yeah. that's a pushback I've gotten. Yeah, it's, um, so that's a good point. There's validity in that point of view, and there's, a, there's a, a, a fallacy. Because capitalism pulls people out of poverty, mm -hmm. it's the only way to pull people out of poverty. That's patently not true. We can invent the nudges that drive our behaviors in such a way that we all get to benefit from this. And we're gonna also have to do the opposite of celebrating conspicuous consumption. We're going to need to have cultural levers engaged too that turn conspicuous consumption into something that looks like littering. Hmm. A that's a value. Yeah, that's a, interesting. That, yeah. That's a, a value shift at the at its core. It, it, but it's but it's um, right now you and I are bombarded in all media with the implicit message: if you had more, yep. you'd be happier. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes, and that's from and that's to have from. it to be, to like, have it be. because you have, right. you are. And, and if, you, if you if you don't have anything, you are nothing. You are nothing. That's exactly right. Our, yeah. If you, if you talk to p enough people who've really won that game, and they were candid with you, this is my job. I had to sell a lot of expensive art to people who could afford it. Mm -hmm. Okay. After hours, we would hang out, and I would try to have an honest philosophical discussion with them, and most would tell you, you know, the, oh wow, this this opulence. It tickles my senses so nice. Uh, that third yacht, oh, so good. But it it makes you it makes it really hard to form new friendships with anyone who isn't equally wealthy. It wow. makes it really hard for mm -hmm. you to invest in community, sincerity, altruism. It, it is in in many ways when you get past a certain level of inequality, it's kind of corrosive to our humanity. And there's some evidence. Uh, to support this, there's some research that supports this, that pro-social behaviors go down when we get huge bumps in wow. power. I would think uh, it's alienating from what you're saying. Who who else is going to be in that? It's alienating. And, 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 and then yeah. you try to buy, buy your way back into the humanity through philanthropy. Um, mm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, there's a wonderful TED talk about how we got charity all wrong. Um, Dan Pelota, and he talks about how we set up the incentive architecture for charity. And I'm going to oversimplify it, but basically go out there, be a greedy, aggressive person. Get it. Don't let anything stand in your way. Right? Stop just short. Don't murder anyone. Mm -hmm. Don't jail. <laughs> but up to that edge, do it. Then you're a bad person. Mm. And you're drowning in all this dirty wealth. Uh, give some to a nice person, and they'll take care of the less fortunate. 
So we set that, that's in our, that's enshrined mm -hmm. in the legal structure of how our country works. Mm. Why can't we invent <laughs> You know, I, this reminds me of something that Sonia and I were both really, really uh, excited to read in one of your, your articles. Um, I'm going to pull up uh, the name of it. It was called in, in, Imagination Fences, and it's yeah. on your Medium site. And I want to read, if it's okay, this uh, quote from this article. So good. Um, and this is something that I, I think is such a huge impact on our society. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about it. And also, Sonia, whatever thoughts mm -hmm. you have. It's, quote, the, pro the Protestant work ethic and many of the echoes of Calvinism remain with us today, shaping our choices around work, dignity, wealth, and charity. You may be Jewish, Christian, agnostic, or God-free in America, but chances are you carry within you Protestant frames of reference built by these original work-to-you-drop philosophers. This was the credo of the Industrial Revolution, and it found rich soil on our shores. Endless effort is noble in and of itself. Hard work is its own reward. Perhaps most insidious, wealth is evidence of favor with God. Conversely, your poverty may be the outcome of your own sin, your disfavor with God, and your own laziness. That is just <laughs> so good. Oh my God. I mean, I can't even tell you how I'm from Georgia. We're in Atlanta, you know? I mean, Atlanta's yeah. whatever, but that's ding, ding, that rings a bell. Seriously. Yeah. So we, th there's, um, there's a, in, there's an inversion of the logic there where you say, Oh, you're poor. Mm -hmm. You must be a sinner and you must be lazy. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're rich. You must mm -hmm. be virtuous and you must be hardworking. And I, I experience that undercurrent in our culture every day. It's very, very, very American. Uh, yes. And, it's, you know, the first step in offering a different story, which is, I think, the reality, which is most of the outcomes in our lives are the result of the birth lottery. You know, yes, 100%. There's a, a uh, I forgot the guy's name, but there's a, uh, an ethical mental exercise where you I was reading about it yesterday, where you you imagine your children is your child can be born into the world, and you have no idea, or you could be born into the world and you have no idea, no control of you're going to be of which region, what kind of circumstances, ethnicity, religion. You you have no control over any of that. What kind of society would you build? If you mm -hmm. dropped into anywhere on that spectrum. And the ethics suggest most of us would create a far more equitable society than we have. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that is part of the, the national conversation that, you know, Sonia, with your question, mm -hmm. our country needs. Right. Probably. And I know Lacey and I have had a lot of conversations on this about workism and that whole idea that the value is what you're doing. The other idea I would say, and I know you know this, is this idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So what people will do is they'll take an individual antidote. Like, well, look at, you know, Joe here or Susan here. Look what they did. They overcame the odds. You know, yeah. why can't everyone do that? Yeah, there's there's an MLK quote about that. <laughs> Again, paraphrasing, it's something like, you know, it's it's a it's an extreme form of cruelty to insist that someone pull themselves up by their bootstraps when they have no shoes. Good. Mm -hmm. it, Love it. Yeah, it's, uh, there are forms of endemic lack of opportunity that yes. our country won't look at. And a lot of them are based around race, which is mm -hmm. the conversation we're having Definitely. now. Definitely, yeah. Um, but yeah. there are many different scenarios you could be born into in the United States where the myth you just described is completely out of reach. Right. And 100%. I think mm -hmm. it's time to put that paradigm down, the rugged individualism paradigm. Mm -hmm. Which, put, mm -hmm. it, put it down. 
there are many paths to dignity. There are many paths to contribution. Some will be well compensated and some won't. But you're breathing. Don't worry about food, a roof, clean water. We've mm-hmm. got you covered. In fact, you know what? We can afford it. Let's give you high quality education. Let's give you access to bleeding edge knowledge if your curiosity takes you there throughout your yes. Well, here's here's what I don't understand. How does that hurt anybody? If we went that route, what you just said, oh, we're going to make sure your basic needs are taken care of. We're going to provide you with the quality education. Yeah. How the fuck does that hurt anybody? I'm sorry, but like, hello, it, it that's helpful for it, all it of hurts. us. It hurts. Uh, this is going to sound harsh. It hurts the plantation owners of today. Mm, that's yeah. It hurts. I agree. The plutocrats mm. who might make fifty million instead of a hundred million that year. Ugh. That is true. That's true. It's it's the and they have access because of that wealth to the most powerful persuasion technologies the world has ever known. You know, Noam Chomsky was famous for saying, you know, you can manufacture consent. Yes, there's a people mm. book. Yes. Look, right. The mm. the reality we live in now is, and this is a little insidious, you can manufacture uh, consumer behavior. You can manufacture voter behavior. Mm. Everything has a price tag. Everything. We are yep. more influenced than any of us want to admit by Very the true. larger forces around us. And this mm-hmm. is how people in that, you know, Bernie Sanders 0.1% purchase all these uh, sort of persuasion tools, coercion tools to turn that bottom 99% or more into uh, warring tribes, you know, turning on each other instead mm-hmm. of saying, we're going to insist on a just and equitable society. And if uh, I think you, plutocrat, your life will actually improve in that society. You'll feel more connected to the people around you. You won't feel afraid when you're walking to your car. But if if you don't want to participate in a more just and equitable society, okay, go. The Cayman Islands are calling, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Absolutely. We are talking with Ramon Frey. This is the premiere episode of Rethinking Humanity Interviews. Uh, Ramon is an author, and uh, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the book that you're writing right now um, and anything else about you know what you've written, the articles you've written um, that we, Sonia and I have both enjoyed reading here, here in the last little bit. So tell us a little bit about, about your book, too. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so the book is essentially about an idea that I, I made up called incentive system design. Mm-hmm. It was, it came out of a period where I was hired as, as in, you know, very often as an advisor to a technology startup. It went well. They asked me to stay on as a full-time employee I said yes, because I thought this thing has real potential for what's called ESG impact, environmental, social, and governance impact. And so I became a CMO of that company. And then I became a founding partner in the parent company, which raised an enormous amount of money. We hit that hype inflection curve uh, kind of perfectly. It was, it was honestly dumb luck. We, we all worked hard, but it was luck. Um, and then it quickly collapsed under its own weight. It, it just heated up white hot and then imploded. And I was, mm. I was kind of heartbroken because I saw this positive potential. And like so many technologies, it was kind of subverted to make people rich, to concentrate wealth in a handful mm. of hands. And everyone would talk virtue talk and virtue signals to each other. But people weren't actually doing that work because that wasn't the most profitable work to do. Mm. So I came out mm. kind of bitter. And I decided I needed to get out this vision for the positive potential of what are called distributed ledger technologies. It's indelible digital information. Um, the, an obvious use case that would promote social good 
is um, actually one that's not too hard to understand. In the real world, there's one of you walking around in your body. We have spent in our country and around the world a lot of effort over centuries shoring up human rights for you. So you always have protections and recourse, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. You, you cannot be uh, forced into slavery ostensibly. You know, there's all of these different things that we've tried to do to enhance the dignity of individual human beings. None of that exists in your digital life. None of it. Wow. There was one like incorruptible, absolute, and we can build this right now. It would, you know, it would take time and energy and money. If there were one you, self-sovereign digital identity is what the concept's called. There were one okay. you online that you you were totally in control of, not Facebook, Google, or anyone else. You are put in the poll position. You have data rights now. You have a right to control your mm -hmm. own information and you have a right to negotiate. So, such that imagine the power of collective bargaining, what unions have done traditionally with mm -hmm. digital identities. Every minute you spend on Facebook, you get compensated. You generate a whole bunch of traffic, you get compensated. Yeah. It's, and it can all tie into your social security number and everything else. You don't have, why bother filing taxes anymore? The whole thing yeah. is completely wow. automated. Yes. And can powerfully elevate the status of the American individual. Mm -hmm. uh, what I just described is Facebook's worst nightmare, Google's worst nightmare. Right. I was going to say Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> is probably not excited about that idea. That's what I would like to see happen. People are like, well, you should boycott Facebook. I'm like, no, I, Facebook has done something. It's turned first mover advantage into a kind of monopoly that's never existed. They're the world's most powerful media company. And I, I tried to shape my Facebook participation around having substantive discussions, not just outrage. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think uh, heavy regulation should come from a progressive administration in Washington to empower the individual, right? A check and balance on these runaway, the power of these runaway technology companies. They'll still be fine. <laughs> yeah. I know one of Zuckerberg's yeah. like ideals was to promote community. And so there's been that whole issue of well, what kind of community? Online community? Offline community? Well, there, uh, you know, I can't turn off the bibliography. I, so <laughs> there's a book called Surveillance Capitalism. Okay. Which is a, a wonderful read on how eyeball minutes and outrage economy becomes monetized. Um, mm. uh, Douglas Rushkoff wrote a book called Team Human, which I haven't read yet, but I've read his previous books. He's been a speaker at our dinners. Uh, Doug is a fantastic thinker on the power of media and how we can reclaim that power for the individual. Um, and then there's Tristan Harris, and he has an oh, yeah. right? You know, you're probably familiar yeah. with, you know, the Center for Humane Technology, which which focuses on rehumanizing these things so that the, instead of right now, the best way to get you hooked on any digital interaction is to upset you. Mm. It, hmm. it, you know, it's the low hanging fruit for all marketers everywhere always. Right, emotional manipulation, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the classic one is all brands wanna become lifestyle brands and the mechanism is you feel inadequate when you encounter that, but if you buy the thing- Then you don't. Then you don't. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Right. And there's a more noble version of marketing that's possible and harder, which says you are dignified. You're worthy of respect. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of belonging. You're worthy of all these fundamental emotional and psychological needs. But I'm really excited about this microphone. Can I tell you about it? <laughs> yeah. Most marketers don't want to do that. No. <laughs> well, you make more money the other way. So <laughs> that's what it's all about, you know, but I, but I love what you're saying about incentives. And then of course, data as a property, right. That's obviously something that um, was a big part of Andrew Yang's uh, campaign and something that 
people are not like your typical politician is not thinking about that or talking about that at all. That's why I found Andrew so refreshing and why I'm so excited about this podcast and uh, Mike Breuer in Kentucky and all, you know, this is really starting to feel like a movement towards sanity. Yes. Yes. And, and compassion, sanity and compassion and like a real moral compass rather than a bullshit veneer of morality hiding, you know, hyper transactive culture that that's mm. hollow, that leaves most people really not happy or fulfilled no matter how much stuff they have. True. I mean, it took this, uh, the pandemic and now the protests with, there's so many things that are coming together, but at the same time, it's exploding. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to kind of turn that question on you guys, if you don't mind just for a second, just sure. say like, what is, what could come out mm-hmm. of this economic crisis, pandemic, protests? This is by some measures, the greatest civil unrest since Martin Luther King was assassinated. You know, what, what, what's, what do you think is going to come out of this? I think that uh, to your point earlier, I think there needs, there's a dismantling of our current systems. But what I think is happening too is you, I hear, I'm, I'm for the dismantling, but there's people that have this fear because I'm on a lot of chats where they're kind of worried about the status quo, to your point. They, they, they want to keep things, you know, free yeah. market. We don't want to make any big changes here. But I don't think we have an option. I believe that this is giving us a moment in time to to make huge shifts yeah but there's a lot there's fear you know change brings fear yeah yeah I, and i think that yeah I, I love what you're saying there i think the functional metaphor here is it's a zero-sum game so if it changes in the reshuffling of the the deck mm-hmm. i might get less exactly yeah yeah exactly you know i think i i'm very pleased with how much has changed. It's starting to change. Um, We're seeing police departments, you know, be not defunded, but restructured or be taken away. We're seeing it and are going to build a new one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there is a response happening right now. And I think we are all at a place in this country where we realize we're, we're, I guess we're just raw enough to realize like some of the shit isn't working and yep. oh, we have to fucking do something about it. Yep. And maybe even want to, you know, maybe even where if it hadn't been, you know, like three months of, you know, difficulty and struggle, maybe we wouldn't, we would have been like, nah, well, it's just another black guy that ki- got killed. Like we have this for the whole damn time, yeah. you know, for, for how long now? Years and years and years. And so I do think we're in a moment where we're, going to see more than we have ever before change which is fabulous and i'm i'm also pleased i also look at this and this is you know i've said this before on the podcast not the point of the podcast to talk about andrew yang but i look back in this moment at the timing of andrew yang running for president and in 2016 17 i think is when he for november of 2017 is when he first started Mm-hmm. He, I mean, we had no idea, none of us, what was coming. But look how timely it was. Look, yeah. look at basic income. A year ago, yeah. you talk about basic income. There's no way yeah, people are like, you're insane. Even yeah. on the debates, he got laughed at. So I, I think we're really, really close to seeing a lot change. Yeah. And I do think that it's going to take time and little steps. But I think we're we're going to get we're in a good path to get where we want to go. Yeah. Um, Ramon, one thing I was going to say is I, I totally agree with you is that we need to have that basic, we need to have our basic needs met, the food, the shelter, water. These are just human, you know, health insurance. Yeah. And that's a, that's a shift for the way we've thought about this whole individualism. The other issue I was going to bring up that Lacey and I discussed today is mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. Because yeah. Right now we have a high rate of, suicides, millennials, there's depression. And to your point, it doesn't matter that you're living in this world that has everything you could want when you go to the grocery store. It's obviously not fulfilling individuals. Yeah. 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 I, I, yes. I, I think related to what you just said, Lacey, the people who 
can take, uh, like it takes a while, six months, a year, two years, when they realize they can take their basic needs for granted, they become lot, a lot less defensive about paradigm change. Okay. And when you're worried about your, I mean, no offense to Joe Biden, that's why they picked Biden. They're, like insecurity has never felt higher on all of these. And so he looked like the safe choice. Let's go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, true. He's the least inspiring guy on the Democratic side. You know, yeah, I, love Yang, I love Warren. I mean, you know, but here we are. And, and now I hear that he's receptive to an FDR kind of policy platform. Yeah, I did hear that. And I even was approached by somebody who had been in the um, in the the Obama administration, and he's like, "We would like to propose some innovation idea, innovative ideas to the Biden administration uh, at, for potential piloting." And I I kind of struggled with like boiling it down to something I thought they would be receptive to, and that would be easy to implement so that you could get a win. And what I came up with was self-sovereign identity. There's there's more fundamental change that would actually do more good, mm -hmm. but it's a bridge too far for most people's imagination. Mm. I mean, the, the victory of capitalism is that in most people's minds, it's baked into the fabric of the universe. Uh, As an ideology, yeah. first of all, capitalism has not been around for very long. And I right. think it's here in 50 years. The idea of a job has not been around for very long. And if if things go well and automation accelerates, most people won't have jobs one day. So, uh, you know, to make that transition feel non-threatening, you have to meet people's, you have to meet people's basic needs. Um, and then you can create incentives, I mean, that can get a little bit more sophisticated. One of the biggest problems right now is capitalism, which is not the same as commerce and not the same as markets. They're separate ideas. You can have something that is not capitalism, that serves people and planet first, and still has commerce and markets. Huh. And, and you mm. know, that's not understood. Yes. Cal right. Capitalism puts the prerogative of growing GDP and wealth as number one. If that means mowing people down or destroying the environment, fine. So be it. So be it. And then what we right. do, is we try right. after the fact to rein it in, rein in those destructive tendencies. But yeah. we could not, we could create a system that doesn't generate those destructive tendencies in the first place. You know, sure. if people listening to this would like to get a concrete taste of what that means, there's a woman named Kate Rayworth who wrote a book called Donut Economics. A good way to start would be to watch her TED Talk, which has been viewed three or four million times. Can and you say that name again? Sure. Kate, K-A-T-E, and then Rayworth, R-A-W-O-R-T-H. Um, she was kind enough to give me a little bit of her time when I was researching my book. And so we, we spent some time talking in London. And uh, I find her profoundly inspiring. She's a deep... Wow. And, and you said donut economics? Donut economics, yeah. She's okay. it like okay. the British spelling, so D-O-U-G-H. Oh, um, okay. She's from New Zealand. Jacinda yeah. Ardern uh, at, in New Zealand has adopted some of her uh, policies. Uh, her policies were recently adopted in the city of Amsterdam. So she like- Oh, cool. Yeah, That's like cool. humanity forward, like her, it's becoming more and more of a, a movement. And mm -hmm. in that we live under the carrying capacity of life on earth. That's the objective. And we raise the floor on poverty and we live within yeah. the zone. And we need to create an incentive system that does that through the activity of the system itself. Not, not through policing and enforcement after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the system itself. The and system. one thing, one thing I think that Andrew did a great job of in his book um, talk was talking about incentives and yeah. and how powerful those are. I mean, I was a I'm a you know certified educator and I taught elementary school for a while. And I can tell you, in a third grade mm -hmm. classroom, 
An incentive works way better than a punishment. <laughs> and and that's a human thing. It's not a kid thing. It's a human thing. So I think a system where we have these incentives is going to be way more effective than what we're doing right now with, yeah. with punishment. It, it's going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people. Sure. Because it, it requires you to rethink how much agency you have in the world. Mm-hmm. First, you have to like wake up to the fact like, hey, man, you're being nudged constantly in certain directions in how you behave and mm-hmm. how, what you think of yourself and the people around you. What mm-hmm. if we could be totally like upfront with you and say, uh, we want to create an incentive architecture where the economy thrives as biodiversity increases. The more trees, the better our currency. Right, right. Again, these things, all the technologies are out there to do what I just said and to experiment mm-hmm. on a tiny scale to see if it can work. Maybe we fail a lot and then some of them end up working. Uh, but nobody's doing it because it's not going to make anyone a billionaire. Right. It might subvert the preponderance of billionaires. Mm-hmm. Which is why probably government or NGOs are the right funding source, you know, or or very wealthy people who have a crisis of conscience and say this can't go on. I'm going to fund the next system. Yeah, well, and I mean, I would imagine that the more we have folks who are younger in office and who understand technology in a different way than the, those that are in office currently do. Um, I, I would argue that we would start to see that played with a little bit more, um, you know, on a, on a, on a federal level. And I wonder how long, how long do you think something like that would take to happen to where we see some change in, in, it, it's really not about age. It's about oh, people in about technology because there's so much that we could be doing now like why the hell did people wait for (laughs) six hours oh my gosh to vote whenever we can order a sandwich like this come on obvious voter suppression there was no you know they're just they just keep pushing the envelope to see what they can get away with without people going to jail yeah. You, know, you want to discourage that kind of voter suppression, send someone to jail. Yeah. Um, it was absurd. Ramon, I'm serious. The, my district, I'm it was, sorry. the line was, oh my God, it was insane all it's day not- long. I was so mad. I'm like, yeah, you think voting is important? No, you don't. If you did, you would have planned ahead a lot better. <laughs> I mean, nobody needs to. What about elderly people who can't stand outside in humidity yeah. and 85 degree? You know, I'm yeah. just it's just insane. And yeah. the reality of the situation is, is that though we do have the technology, we just did the census digitally. Online, Why can't yeah. we vote? I yes. think also you have to see, I think talking about the government, I think people getting involved locally. And there, and that I've seen that where you are actually in your state and you're in your community and then you're learning actually how the system works. Because what we tend to do is say, oh, the government, the federal government, they're not gonna come and rescue us. It's got, there's gotta be this ground swelling from the bottom up, I yeah. believe. What you, what you just said is, there's, that, that's the rule rather than the exception for how things have been in our country. Um, and what you just said, Lacey, you know, is basically progress mostly these are all generalizations has been have been led by youth generally speaking, when you see our country take a big step forward i've seen this before like i, I was at a dinner here in berkeley which is a as progressive as it gets in the united mm-hmm. states and there was somebody um suggesting a framework for global cooperation on issues like climate change gender equality you know like the, the united nations 17 sdgs that sustainable development goals. And this woman who was very progressive in her views kind of got like a little out of line. I was the moderator. I was like, we've heard you. Thank you. You need to pipe down. She was just attacking him. And I reflected on it later and realized she had been an idealist and had fought hard for change and had probably been shut down and rebuked when she was young. And it had happened so much to her and people she loved 
that she was angry at this younger person for daring to think they could create that change. Mm. Wow. Um, and, and that's where people who think of themselves as progressive or embracing change need to be careful. You're not become, you're not becoming a soldier for your adversary. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Wow. Well, you know, one other thing that we have in common, um, Ramon, is that we are passionate about mental health and, you know, psychology and how that underlies with, you know, the economy and rethinking the way we do society. Uh, it's so funny. Somebody asked me this random question last night. They were like, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and the first thing that came to mind, I said, I said, I would be able to touch people and oh. they would automatically know everything they needed to know about mental, emotional health and have the tools <laughs> to be oh. mentally, emotionally healthy. <laughs> because I can see how, where it's like a root problem in so many situations. So many ways, yeah. Yeah. Like that, like that expression, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. People with, with unaddressed emotional wounds are far more likely to hurt the people around them. And, and that's like intergenerational, mm -hmm. like an illness. It, it, it can, you know, that trauma can go from one generation until it's fully addressed. Yes. And, and um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, I, I, I love having brainstorms with people who, where I'm like, oh, maybe they could fund this kind of thing. So I, I do that from time to time. And one of them was like, what if we, what if we literally sent out a new Peace Corps who has your superpower? <laughs> what would the training look like? Oh yeah. Mm. Awesome. Right. What would, what would the process look like? Um, uh, you could, but I don't think it's impossible to raise the emotional intelligence of the country. And to put this sort of like choke on your feelings, rugged individualism behind us. Absolutely. Mm. No, it, that's it, that's it, awesome. It didn't work for my grandfather. It's not working for men in this generation either. No, no. Yeah, that's, no, it, that's it, the it, myth. That's the myth. Someone actually commented on that earlier on our, they said, you know, they discussed, wanted to talk about the individualism. So what you're saying is right on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, maybe that's what you should do, Lacey. Like, go train people. Oh, yeah. Train educator, you've got <laughs> already a superpower. Wrangling that. Train them. <laughs> Put their hands on other people and then they'll. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a big. There's so many reasons why I think we, we need to rethink humanity. But one of the big ones for me is like, we do not understand or value uh, mental, emotional well-being in a, not even close, you know? And yeah. people wonder why the divorce rate is high or why, you know, they're miserable. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah. you know what? We need to, uh, we need to learn what this is. And we don't have, there's no system, in, you know, in schools where we're like, oh, this is what emotional well-being looks like. This is how you have a healthier, this is how you communicate effectively, you know? Uh, I wrote that in the article that I shared with you, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. how do you know that you are, you have racism in you if you are not even self-aware enough to know that, you know, like, oh, you're really mad right now. Maybe you should just step away. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you, there's gotta be certain sort of precursor understandings before you can actually face something that's that uncomfortable. Um, you know, I mean, often with some people, will come to me if they're, you know, crises in individual lives tend to cascade too. One thing leads to another, you lose a job and then your marriage is in crisis and this and that and the other, and all these things kind of, you know, it's, it happened to me once. And the, I, I was lucky enough to have a good uh, uh, psychologist that I, I trusted and cared about me. And she gave me permission. <laughs> to do one tiny nice thing for myself. Hmm. Huge. She's That's like, huge. She's like, how do you, how do you, how do you do something? What's something nice for yourself? I was so broke and in debt. <laughs> and she said, 
what do you like? I said, yes, I like to go to like a stupid science fiction movie or something. <laughs> How much did that cost? I was like, I don't know, 10, 12 bucks. Like, you should do that for yourself. And it was, it landed like a total revelation. And, and ever since then I've been like, okay. I try to, I try to say that to you. I'm like, yeah, take it easy on yourself. You know, have some compassion for yourself. You're doing the best you can. Self-care, self-care. It's amazing yeah. how much of it actually boils down to that, like self-compassion. Because sure. you, if you are not compassionate to yourself, you are not going to be compassionate to somebody else. That's so, really yeah, I mean, that's whenever I feel anxious, half the time, like, what I have to do is like, oh, it's okay, Lacey. I know you're freaking out right now, but it's okay. You did the best you could. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the same thing. Do something that soothes yourself. Because that is half the battle. That's yeah. that's where you start. And, and also, I think understanding no emotion in and of it. This is my opinion, but no emotion in and of itself is a problem. What can Agreed. become problematic is how we relate to the emotion. Mm, yes. So I think right now we are in a moment. If you're not outraged, outraged yeah. what what kind <laughs> of hole is your head hiding in? Like. Like it is totally you have any moral compass or any ability to like think clearly. Mm. Probably outraged right now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, um, and but then you can lash out at people, which some of us do, and then we have to apologize and forgive ourselves. Or we can channel that outrage, which is, you know, what I think kind of, you know, podcasts like this are doing is well, what's a what's a constructive way to channel? the fact that we're upset about something. Right. right. And I think the other huge thing is listening. You know, a lot of people don't listen. And I think affirming that someone is being heard. You mm. may not agree with them, but this idea that we have to be on polar opposites, I think it's very important that as individuals, we, we feel like we're heard, that we matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. It's you, huge. You, you do that in your, like, mirroring. Sometimes yeah. that I'm like, mirroring, <laughs> yeah. I do the mirroring thing. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm hearing you say. I hear you say. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Be careful yeah. how I use that one, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. That's too funny. Yeah. This well, is historic um, times. Yeah. Yeah. Go on, Sonia. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying this is historic times. It's exciting to talk to you. Yeah. I, I really. I, I'm honored you had me on. Thank you. Especially yeah. You. I mean. Like like I mentioned, uh, I knew it was going to fly by. I mean, it's already been an hour, so here we are. Um, plug yourself before you go as much as you want. We have some some things we can just pop up on the screen that say all the all the Ramon things. So go for it because oh, we want to support you. You know, I I, I send out. Uh, obviously, I have my mailing list and stuff, and I send something out. And there's always this part where it's like, what can I do? And you know what I've been suggesting to people? A, a lot of people, their first thought is to donate to a charitable cause or voter rights or Black Lives Matter or, you know, there's a whole bunch of really worthy causes and charities out there. One thing that most people don't think of, you know one person right now who's very vulnerable, who's probably in pain and is probably struggling. So that one-to-one -one connection you know, here in California, we have a lot of undocumented restaurant workers. Mm. Talk about a desperate situation. You know, so we brought some groceries to one family at the request of someone else. Now, those little mm. tiny things can matter so, so, so much. So that would be my main request. Um, and then, you know, if people want to, we will do events again at goodpeopledinners.com. You can sign mm. up there uh, if you'd like to be invited to those things. Um, you can uh, check us out on Patreon. When we stop doing events, I set up a Patreon for people who appreciate what we do. Um, okay. And then, uh, you know, if you want to follow my writing, really, or the books that I'm reading, um, mm -hmm. or, you know, I post all the media there. It's all on uh, myname.com, ramanfrey.com. So, okay, awesome. Lots of ways to find cool. it. Great. And are you on, on Twitter very much? Yeah, I, I'm more and more. I really enjoy following you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you. There's his Twitter handle, at yeah. Ramon Frey. Um, it, it's fun, man. I love Twitter. I, I think 
I'm amazed at how much Yang followers over the last year have made it such a positive place. Such you know, did you notice that? You. So encouraging, yeah. so yeah. appreciative. You know, I, if there's so many things about Andrew and his campaign and people like you that dropped everything and worked so hard in support of that campaign, which is going to be bearing fruits for decades. It, it may not be Absolutely. obvious. I do think it will. You know, thank you. I think one, yeah, and you were because you were inspired by him, and he and he does. He, I mean, among I loved a lot of his policy positions, but one of the things mm. he does, which is also I think why Van Jones loves him so much, he, Van Jones says you don't have to hate anyone to be part of the Yang Gang, right? uh, and so he airs yeah. he airs on the side of humanity and compassion and supporting all people, you know, even the 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 most virulent you know, angry people in our country because he knows that if, if we, if we raise the that floor and take care of everyone, they get less nasty. <laughs> the people who probably hate him right now. They wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what's cool is I think that they've done an excellent job post campaign with him transitioning. I mean, He's talking to all these people on his podcast. I think it's great. I think the the movement and the the ideas are getting positive uh, reinforcement at this point, which is which is fabulous. Yeah, and you, and the two of you too. I mean, keep doing more of this stuff. Yeah, I hope. I hope we that, will. I hope that this snowballs and and you have a big influence, especially in this next election cycle. Oh yeah. Thank you. That's that's awesome. Thanks. That means a lot. Well, take care. Uh, you, you get a little more sunshine than we do out uh, in California since it's earlier. But uh, enjoy yeah. the evening. We appreciate you being here. Maybe yeah. we'll do it again sometime. It was great but, talking uh, to you. Love all yeah. your ideas, book uh, recommendations, all that. Okay. Thank you. For yeah. I love the book stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, we will see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.